0: The other thing to say is that uh, this is uh, we're in the second of our series, which is Pray Like Jesus. Part of our um, aim as a church is making disciples of Jesus who learn to be like Jesus and live like Him. And so we're learning in this series from Jesus about prayer. And in our life groups, um, a couple of resources we've suggested for life groups one called the Prayer Course, which comes out of the 24 7. Movement, which is led by Pete Gregg, who's done a huge body of work on um, prayer and developing creativity in prayer. They've got a wonderful course, which is online and available to life groups to use. I know a couple of life groups have already used it and had really great things to say about it. Uh, So that's available. And there's also a book written and a whole course written by Mike Betts called uh, Prayers of Many, um, which is well worth uh, looking at as well. Um, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, just verse 9 today. We're slowing down the pace. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We're doing the whole thing, chapters 5 to 7. And we're slowing down in chapter 6 here to look at uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and this prayer is probably something that's fairly familiar to a lot of us. I imagine some of us, if not many of us, know it off by heart Probably. Perhaps you, anybody say it at school on a regular basis? Yeah, probably another of us went to schools where it was said on a reasonably regular basis. Um, it was in the news not that long ago, I think about seven years ago or so. Um, the Lord's Prayer was going to be an advert uh, before the new Star Wars film was coming out in 2016. Do you remember that? Um, but some people deemed it to be offensive and it got censored. And the advert had to be cut. So It's a fairly well-known prayer, but not without its controversy as well. Uh, It's one of the most famous Christian prayers, one of the most famous of Jesus' teachings and uh, well-known. But it's not exhaustive as a prayer, it's not everything about prayer. Um, There are other prayers found in the Bible that aren't included, things like prayers of confession or of thanksgiving, prayer for enemies and so on. It's a fairly short and simple prayer. So in the original, it's just 58 words long. It doesn't take long to read. I guess one of the things that Jesus is doing, we looked last week at the prayer pitfalls, the things that Jesus frees us from um, as he teaches on prayer. And one of the things he frees us from there is complexity. It's quite a short, simple prayer. Everybody could probably memorise it fairly easily. Um, And I don't know if you ever got to that place when you're, you're trying to pray, but you don't know what to pray. Yeah? You don't know what to pray. Well, you know, Maybe you're just starting out in prayer, maybe you just started following Jesus, and you're thinking, you know, what do I what do you start with? Well, Jesus gives us a model here to kind of start with, frees us from having to conjure up something of our own, and kind of praying our, our, our own ideas, as it were, or our own idea of what prayer might be. And I think as well, in this passage, Jesus frees us from some unhelpful ideas about prayer as well. Um, there's been quite a popular movement towards prayer as kind of the emptying of the mind, a kind of meditation, where you kind of empty your mind, you free yourself from kind of the things that might burden your thoughts. Whereas what Jesus teaches us here is something which engages our mind. It's not mystical, but it's, it's rational and reasonable. It's also not a mantra. It's not something you kind of just repeat over and over and over again, although you can say it verbatim but um, rather it's about relationship with a father, as we've been um, hearing about this morning as people have brought those various uh, contributions. And it's not an internal monologue either, it's not just introspection, it's not just about us as an individual, but it's a two-way conversation. It's a conversation between children and their father. It's two-way. And then Jesus says, uh, pray then like this. He says, if we want to avoid the the prayer pitfalls that we looked at last week of him impressing other people or impressing God. Then he says, pray like this, and he provides this model for prayer, a pattern for us to l- learn from, that we would fill out with our own prayers along the same lines. Although you, you, you might have experienced it, as, as we said earlier, as something that's prayed ver- verbatim. You know, actually the words are, are said, which is a good thing to do as well. In the Luke passage, about the Lord's Prayer, Luke says, not pray then like this, he, he says, when you pray, say. Uh, which is a kind of suggests in the early church, they did both. They both learnt the prayer verbatim, and they also filled it out with their own prayers and used it as a pattern for prayer. And we find it in various forms as well, which suggests that, that they were kind of, as an early church, more concerned with the content of the prayer than getting the exact words right, given that we've got different versions so I thought it would be good for us to read together. Do that? Perhaps there's some of us who don't know it off by heart. If we go through the series and we read it fairly regularly, then maybe uh, that might help some of us. And for some of us, it will be very familiar. The words are on the screen. I've left out, because it's not in the passage, the bit at the end, which is added, which is, uh, For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We can still say that bit. It just won't appear on the screen. <laughs> okay. So, should we pray then? Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. There's our passage for today. Thanks for reading it with me. Uh, So, I'm just going to draw out three things. The first is this thing of Father, which has kind of come out in our prophetic contributions this morning, and Bruce was actually sharing it a minute ago, and actually the first thing I want to share is pretty much exactly what Bruce was saying. He was being interviewed about his Alpha experience, but he didn't realise he was prophesying as well. um, You'll be amazed at the symmetry in this. In terms of relationships, the reality is that how we perceive the people we're in a relationship with affects how we treat them, doesn't it? How we perceive the person that we're in a relationship with affects the way that we treat them and how we approach them, how we experience our relationship with them. For example, if somebody approaches you and they're in a police uniform... (laughs) Do you read my notes beforehand? (laughs) If they're in a police uniform, that affects how you approach them, doesn't it? Perhaps you're the kind of person who, as a youngster, police were the people who always presumed you were in the wrong and were getting up to something. You know, the, hello, hello, what's going on here? type of approach. Or maybe you're the kind of person who experienced the help of the police in a time of uh, family crisis. Whichever way it is, that probably affects how you experience your relationship with that person who's in the police uniform. Either they're somebody who represents abusive authority or they're representative of somebody who helps in a time of crisis. But either way, they're either somebody you want to keep your distance from and stay out of the way of, or they're a safe place to go to. Or think about if you see a teacher... Dressed in teacher gear, whatever that is—suit, <laughs> elbow pads—I don't know—a textbook in hand—but you approach somebody and you realise they're a teacher. Usually, I used to be a teacher, and there's two general, generic responses that you get from people when you say that you're a teacher. The first is, "That must be so rewarding." It's a really lovely answer because it is, and that kind of perspective on a teacher is um, the kind of te- teachers are people who inspire. And encourage you. And some of us would have had experiences of teachers like that. And so that's the kind of thing you say when you hear somebody's a teacher. That's so rewarding. That must be so rewarding. Uh, Which it was. They're role models. There's a second response that you typically get when you say you're a teacher. And it's this. Gosh. How do you manage their behaviour? I mean, how do you do that five hours a day? That person's experience of school life and teachers is more of teachers as disciplinarians which doesn't necessarily always say something about their behaviour at school, but might do, (laughs) perhaps. So how you think of a teacher might then affect how you kind of approach them, how you perceive them. It's true of our relationship with God as well, isn't it? How we perceive God, what we think he's like, affects the way that we relate to him and approach him. It's true as well that our experiences of earthly fathers can affect how we approach our heavenly father. All of us can probably think of ways in which our dads, if we had them, got it wrong. But perhaps some of us have had particularly sad experiences of our own dad, which can affect the way that we think about our uh, father in heaven. We can also have all sorts of our own ideas about God that affect how we approach him. Um, Here's some suggestions. Maybe you think of God as being a little bit reluctant, and you kind of perceive yourself you perceive the holiness of God you know what you're like and you perceive him as being reluctant to be in a relationship with you and so you kind of like I was saying last week you have to please or impress or pester God to get something out of him to please him or placate him maybe God's a little bit of a hard taskmaster you think about uh, obeying his rules or he'll be displeased with you sometimes we can think of God a bit like an impersonal force he doesn't really understand my life as a human being and therefore he can't relate to me he's kind of there in the background but he's not up close and personal maybe it's as the clockmaker. you know the kind of a clock sets the clock up and it just runs doesn't it maybe God's a bit like that to you he kind of set the world spinning and then just let it run. But in terms of like, actual involvement in everyday life, he's not really in, in, in the frame, as it were. Or maybe it's an SOS responder, a bit like Bruce was saying. He's in your back pocket, he's the insurance, but he's not for the everyday. You, you'll go to him when you absolutely really need him in that moment of crisis and you need help, but otherwise, he's not needed. And what this Lord's Prayer does for us, what Jesus is teaching us to do, is recalibrate. Just to recalibrate. You know, like when you use, uh, if you ever do DIY, I generally try not to. Safest. But uh, what are they call spirit levels, and you, uh, you've got that little bubble in the middle, haven't you? which you try to pin with one hand to the wall and then it slips and slides everywhere. Then you draw the pencil lines in the wrong places and put the drills in and it goes all wrong and then you hang it up and you go, this is why Jess should have done this. <laughs> but, you, but the bubble kind of helps you recalibrate, doesn't it? It re- gets your positioning right to kind of do the task. And I think the Lord's Prayer is like, like that bubble. It just kind of recalibrates us, repositions us puts us in the right place for approaching uh, the Father. And what he's trying to get us to do is to to remind ourselves he's our Father, and so we're his children. Like it was being prophesied this morning, we're significant. I love that picture of you're in a crowd, there's lots of noise and children are running everywhere. But when you say, you know, when you hear your child's voice, out of the crowd, you can pick it out, which is true. As so dad, he can testify to that. If, it, if Sebs or Florence says, Dad, particularly Florence, because she says it exactly like that, Dad, she <laughs> rises. You can pick it out from the crowd. And the father's like that with each and every one of us. You kind of think of yourself in a sea of humanity, but the Lord can pick out your voice from anywhere. He can pick out your cry of, Abba, Father, from anywhere. Your voice is familiar to him. He knows it really well. And that's at the core of our relationship with him. He's our Father. That's primarily who he is to us. This is a foundational truth about God. There's lots of names for God in the Bible, isn't there? You often hear people praying some of the names of God when we're praying. But primarily, the way that God has revealed himself to us in scripture is, he's our father. That's first and foremost. So Jesus teaches us to pray. Our father. It reminds us who he is and ensures we perceive him and approach him as he is. So how that come about? How has it come about that we've been able to call God almighty, the creator of heaven and earth? Our Father, such an intimate term. How's that come about? Have a listen to this in Galatians 3, verse 26, and then into chapter 4. Excuse me, it says this. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. It means if you have faith in Jesus, you become part of the family that he is part of, as a son of God, the part of God's family. And you're sons of God, it means not um, you're baptised into being an heir of God. It's not talking about gender, it's talking about um, being an heir. And then it goes on in chapter 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That was the whole point of Jesus coming, dying on the cross, rising again from the dead, so that we'd be adopted into God's family, and know him as father. And then it says... And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Father has sent the Son, born as one of us, to redeem and restore us from spiritual fatherlessness and orphanhood, if you like, by living a life without sin, pleasing to the Father in every way, loving him and loving others, perfectly, dying for our sin that would have displeased the Father so that we could be adopted into God's forever family and know God as Abba, Father just as Jesus did and we become sons, heirs of all that God is we're all going to be made exactly like Jesus when we see him face to face going to take on Christ's likeness and also inherit all that he has Uh, One writer says this, when Jesus gives us the right to call his father by the address our father, he is passing on something of his own priceless relation to God. That's good, isn't it? That's a gift from Jesus to us. That his father, because actually, throughout the whole of the Bible, if you look, well, throughout uh, the New Testament, through the Gospels, if you look at the way Jesus talks about the Father, he says, My Father, because he has a unique relationship as the Son of God with the Father. But now he says, Pray, our Father, and offers it to us as a gift. So whether we have sad experiences of our earthly Father or unhelpful ideas about what God is like, The Lord Jesus gives us this as a remedy, as a gift to us. And so if we kind of think of God as being reluctant, we can say, no, in Jesus, he has given us all things. He's given us even his Son. The Father is not withholding anything. He's not holding anything back from us. He is giving us all things. Hard taskmaster? No, Jesus perfectly loved the Father and others for us. So the Father is pleased with us. We don't have to come to him grovelling. We approach his throne of grace. I read this quote um, in this uh, Fillmore book. We recommended this for the series if you want to read something alongside. Nice snappy chapters. This one's that long. There you go. You could read that, couldn't you? These are great. They're commentaries, but they're dead easy reads. Anyway, he says this about what I was saying there. How often are we tempted to come snivelling into God's presence with confession for sin and protestations that we are useless? We can even convince ourselves that this is humility. Jesus corrects us and tells us that the Father is dishonoured by such fawning. This may be appropriate for our first prayer of repentance, but not for our day-to-day relationship with our Father what would it reflect upon a man if you saw his children grovelling before him each morning? You would think he was the nastiest father alive. I love the way my children bound into my study each morning for a cuddle, not for confession. He's obviously, not, he's obviously a morning person, this guy, isn't he? But, um, God loves it too, which is why the psalmist tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Old English stately homes have a front door for friends and a back door for servants. Jesus tells us we mustn't use the back door with our Heavenly Father. It's the front door and the red carpet from now on. That's good, isn't it? We don't come grovelling and snivelling to the Father. We come to him uh, confidently approaching his throne of grace. Perhaps we think of him as an impersonal force. We say no, because... Jesus, because of Jesus, the Father understands what our life is like. He's become, God himself has become a human being, lived human life with siblings and relationships with friends and people mistrusting him and disbelieving him and accusing him of things and being unfairly treated. He knows all of that. He knows what it's like. He's an impersonal force. He can relate to us. Maybe we think of him as a clockmaker, you know, just set the world spinning. No, he's involved himself in the mess of human life he's relevant to it all. Maybe we think of him as the SOS responder, which he is, isn't he? (laughs) He's the saviour of us from the ultimate crises. But he's also the one that's beside us, uh, leads us beside still waters and into green pastures. And he's with us in those times as well. Jesus teaches us to pray our father he wants us to know first of all that we're beloved children second thing he wants us to know is that our father who is in heaven which helps us keeps us away from thinking other unhelpful things about where our father resides it's not our father within us as if we could find God in ourselves introspectively look within although we're made in the image of God so reflects something of what he's like and the spirit lives in us. The father is holy and unlike us too at the same time. He's not our father who is us, as if we're, uh, as if God were a manifestation of humanity or made in our image rather than the other way around. He's our father who is in heaven. Uh, this word father, Abba, in Aramaic, is a, child, is a word that children used for their daddy. You know, it's the same term, daddy. But it's also used into adu- adulthood, so it's also the same term, dad, that you use when you become an adult and you start calling your dad dad rather than daddy, or maybe you carried on saying daddy. No judgement here. Um, so it's filled with that sense of love and affection that we associate with the term dad or daddy. But abba also carries with it a sense of authority because it was associated with a sense of protection as a guardian. It was associated with having a responsibility as a provider. And so it carries an authority with it as well. Knowing God as our Father brings this wonderful intimacy, this closeness, this uh, nearness and tenderness. But Jesus quickly follows it with our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven or um, who is in heaven. Uh, it could be translated who is in the heavens or who is in the skies. He's not just my, hev- my Father in my sky or my heaven. He's our Father in heaven, in the heavens, in across the skies. That's over all of us. It recognises something of the Father's greatness. It recognises the fact that he's God Almighty. He's all-powerful and could do absolutely anything he wanted to at any moment. He's completely limitless in every way. He knows absolutely everything. He never misses anything. At every moment of all of time, he has known everything that is happening all the time. He is ever-present in every place and space. He's vast, significant. He's eternal from eternity past into eternity future. He's the ancient of days. He's enthroned as the king who is over all of us. He's holy, which means he's set apart. He's our Father. He's tender, he's close, he's near. There's intimacy in the relationship. But he's our Father also in heaven. He is God Almighty. Because it's possible to become a little bit over-chummy with God. And then this is definitely, probably more sli- a tendency you might hear amongst younger generations sometimes, is they get a little bit chummy with God in prayer. You ever hear terms that make you squirm a little bit? Because it is possible to become over-familiar and a little bit, and there is intimacy, but it is possible to become kind of, I don't know, God's my buddy. And God is our friend, but he's also God Almighty. And something of this term in heaven keeps us from that. It keeps us in a place of reverence and awe. In heaven, kind of steers us clear of that over-chumminess with God as it were. God is both intimate, he's also immense. He's a loving father, but he's also almighty God. He's merciful father, he's also holy God, altogether different from us. John Calvin says, Jesus helps us to pray this way so that we know his fatherly love towards us and his unbounded power over us. His fatherly love towards us and his unbounded power over us. I don't know if at primary school you ever heard another child say, my dad is bigger than yours. <laughs> That's how most arguments end in primary school, isn't it? Well, my dad's bigger than yours. Even if he's not. <laughs> my dad's bigger than yours. Because it brings the child, it kind of is their dad brings them a sense of security and of comfort and of confidence to face anyone or anything because of dad. And our good experiences of fathers can help us in this too. I had a dad who was a great dad. A really loving dad. And it's not that he didn't ever get anything wrong, I'm sure he did, but my overriding sense of my my, my dad is that he's great. had a really good experience. Um, of him. And his bigness as a child, I remember benefiting me. I remember the fact that my dad was uh, the kind of dad who um, was significantly responsible for things. He had his own business that he ran and provided for us as a family. He was involved in charity work in Romania. Um, He was serving in church regularly. He carried great responsibility and that gave me a sense of security in care because of what he was like, because of his bigness. I remember my dad being somebody who was a place of comfort. My dad was a big dad, like bigger than me if you can believe that. He was, he's not anymore, he lost half his weight and now I'm twice his size. But when I was a child I could climb up on his lap and cuddle him, he was soft and squidgy. He was a place of comfort. He was present and there for me. I remember him being at home a lot and being able to go to him. I remember my dad getting the best out of me. I remember him coming to watch me play football. I always played better when dad was there. And he pretty much always was. So I played alright. Because I knew I had his attention. I knew his eyes were on me. And it got the best out of me. Because he showed an interest in me. So having a sense of our Father's bigness, of his greatness, his sovereignty, his kingship, that he's almighty, can bring us good things, great sense of security, because he can care for us, we're safe with him. It brings us a sense of comfort, knowing he's always there for us, because he's ever-present everywhere. It gives us great confidence, knowing that with his help we can do anything. So Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven. And the final thing he teaches us to pray is this, hallowed be your name. I wonder what you think the world's greatest need is. How would you have started your model prayer off? If people were gathering around you, put your disciples there, and you think you're going to teach them to pray, how are you going to start the prayer? The most important thing that the world needs to know. At the start of this prayer, well, Jesus begins with what we in the world need most, and it's a God who is Father to us. And this phrase, hallowed be your name, is basically saying, is praying for God to be God to us and to the whole world. It's praying for him to be who he is to us and to everyone around us. It's praying for God to be glorified. Glory means weight. It's praying for God to be heavier, for him to be weightier for him to be more significant and more important as he should be to us and to uh, our family friends and neighbors and name is like we've been singing it a lot this morning, isn't it your name is the high those songs because the name name in in the Bible means the very essence of who you are it means. how you really are not how you're perceived or how people understand you but as you really are not shaped by others' ideas but it's praying that God as he really is be um, understood, perceived in that way related to in that way as he's been revealed his actual identity in the way that he's been I guess presented himself to the world in Jesus Because that's how the Father has made himself known to humanity It's in Jesus. Jesus himself said it. He said this in John 14. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a really famous passage. And then it's followed by this. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What a claim. You want to know what the Father's like? Well, if you see me, you've seen exactly what the Father is like. That's what Jesus is saying. The way that the Father has presented himself to the world, his self-representation is in Jesus, exactly what he's like. If we know Jesus as Lord, we know his Father, because Jesus is how the Father has chosen to reveal himself. One writer says this, uh, Hallowed be your name is like praying, Please make your real identity known, so that we and others will recognise and honour you as you really are or please sanctify, purify your dishonoured name in the world. Jesus wants our chief concern to be his concern. Remember in the high priestly prayer, Jesus says that he's come to glorify the Father. That's the whole purpose of his existence. Hallowed be the Father's name. And so he wants that to be our chief concern, to pray for God's glory on the earth, as it is in heaven, also on earth. Revealed, acknowledged, worshipped, as he really is. And that's why it's so important whenever we gather together on Sundays, if you're in prayer meetings or in life groups, to spend some time focusing, first of all, not on our needs and the things that we are asking God for and making requests and petitions and praying for others, which are all really important to do. The first thing that Jesus teaches us to do is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first thing we do is we do that, we hallow his name. We praise and worship and honour him for who he really is. And this positions us in a really precious place as the people of God who are waiting for the time when heaven and earth are going to meet. Heaven, where God dwells. Earth, where we dwell, becoming one. The realities of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm coming together. Hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. means waiting for that day, longing for that day, when God is revealed um, as he really is to all of humanity and they understand exactly who he is, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Setting our sights on our future hope of God's glory covering the whole earth. So Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The band wanna um, get ready, just uh, uh, lead us back into worship. That would be that would be great to do. Should we um, still ourselves before the Lord? See what He has to uh, say to us. Yeah, do you want to take that? Off? Sorry. Let's just uh, spend some time uh, with our father now, and just uh, let's just wait on him. See what he wants to say to us. I think there would be some of us here who when other people pray, and when they hear things about an intimate relationship with God as Father, have this sense that there's something I'm missing in this whole relationship with God thing. Just the way that other, people's ex- other people express themselves in prayer, the way that people talk about a personal relationship with God, and you're just thinking, ah... Uh, What is that? Are they really experiencing something I don't? You've got this kind of question mark over what it is that they're experiencing. That kind of feeling that there's something missing. I think the Lord just wants to encourage you that The reason he has sent his son is so that he could call you his child. That's his heart's longing and desire, is for you to know that you're his child, that you belong to him, that he's your father, that he cares for you, that he's near to you, that he wants a relationship with you. Jesus says elsewhere about prayer, those who ask, Will receive, those who seek will find, and those who knock, the door will be answered. The Father says, Come ask, come seek, come knock. I'm not reluctant to give you my presence, I'm not reluctant to be near to you. I'm waiting at the door for you to knock, I'm waiting for you to search me out, I'm waiting for you to ask for that kind of intimacy, that personal relationship you don't feel there. So Lord, we pray for those of us who feel that way. Would you send your spirit? The spirit is the way that we know the Father's embrace. So Spirit, we pray, would you let them know the Father's embrace. Let them know the Father's love for them. Would you let them know a sense of intimacy and nearness, whether it be this morning as we worship now, or it's when they're at home, just praying to you alone. Give them the joy of knowing they have a Father in heaven who loves them dearly. And build that intimacy of relationship. We'll stand. We're going to worship God together. I'll pray. Paul's going to lead us. Living hope. Father God, we're living and longing for the day when heaven and earth meet. That's the whole of the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're longing for, the day when heaven and earth meets, when Jesus returns. And the intimacy we know with the Father now, the love that we experience will not be like through a mirror dimly, but we'll see, Lord, face to face and know your love for us in its full measure, without any hindrance or obstacle or difficulty. We'll just know your love for us in a full way. And Lord we long for that day and we pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name as it is uh, in uh, on, as it is on earth so as it is on heaven so on earth we pray lord we long for that day to know you intimately and lord we we long for those moments where you just remind us of your love for us each of us whether